Hello, and welcome to another episode of Cross-Examine. In this episode, I want to talk about politics. Yay! But it's not like what you're expecting, so bear with me. Uh, I'm actually recording this a few weeks before the election that's taking place here in the United States, and I'm doing that on purpose for a few reasons. Uh, first, the election season has been insane, and it will continue to be insane after November 3, so if you think the craziness of the U.S. is going to go away overnight, you are fooling yourself. And secondly, I'm recording this weeks before the election because I want to help Christians see the unchanging anchor that we have in Christ and not in politicians. What we covered today is just as true when I'm recording it as it will be on November 3, 2020, just as true as it will be 100 years from now and 10,000 years from now. And it's not going to remain true because I'm saying it. It will remain true because we fix our eyes on God and his word. So let's dive into the topic of Christians and politics. Now, for those that know me, you know that I love talking politics. I could talk news and policies and constitutional law and election politics all day. I love it. It fascinates me, and I also think that Christians are called to be wise and discerning in the policies and politicians they support. It is a very unchristian thing to do to simply pull back from the world and say, Y'all can go to hell in a handbasket while I sit here with my Bible in the corner. Christians should absolutely be involved in politics, but it's how we should be involved in politics that I think we often mess up. It seems that today, Christians are really bad representatives of Christ. Not because they're sinners, because we all sin, but because they point to every other solution except Christ. Think about this past year. We have had disaster after disaster. War, disease, wildfire, murder, protests, riots, scandals, on and on and on. And what from your social media feed or conversations with family or friends is proposed as the solution? We need better policies. We need better representatives. We need better management. We need better accountability. We need a better president. We need better this, better that. And Christians get sucked into having this conversation according to the parameters set by the world because we fall into the trap of defending our guy or our girl or our policy. Someone verbally attacks a politician that we like and rather than show grace and mercy and recognize that both the person doing the attacking and the person being attacked are fallen sinners... We respond with our own verbal attack. What could have been used as an opportunity to point someone to Christ is now a wound that we have inflicted on that person. You see, people may not like to admit it, but they are looking for a savior. They may not be looking for the God of the Bible, but they're looking for a savior. You can see it in how people treat presidential candidates. If that's your guy or your girl walking out on the tarmac and you, oh man, you see the people fawning and writing things like, oh, now we have hope. Really? That's the pedestal that we're going to put that person on as our hope? Brothers and sisters, we have an opportunity to point people to a perfect savior. And instead we choose to elevate a person. Shame on us. Or you can see it in how people treat policies. Some like socialism, some like capitalism. And don't get me wrong, there is an important discussion to have. But at the end of the conversation with a friend or a coworker or a relative, do you want them to walk away with a clearer understanding of an imperfect economic system or a better understanding of God's economy of justice and mercy? Do we want people to have a better understanding of man's view of justice or God's view of justice? From my own heart, I can tell you that I am often too concerned with what people might think about a policy or procedure 
than they do about their eternal state with God. It's not to say that these discussions aren't important. Don't hear me say that. Who you vote for matters and it has consequences. The policies you support matter. But our concern as Christians should be to provide the kingdom perspective and then allow that to direct the hearts of men. We too often try to reverse the order and think, man, if they could just, if I could just get them to concede this one point or see this policy this way, then they would understand what God is looking for. But friends, we have it backwards. God needs to change the heart first. Let's take a current example. And some of you are going to call me a hypocrite for this. That's fine. I'm over it. Whatever. Let's look at the example of abortion. The Christian view, which I hold to, is that abortion is a sin. Abortion is the unwarranted killing of a person created in the image of God. You can provide all the reasoning and scenarios and elements of the decision that you would like. It doesn't change the fact that a child, a living being with DNA unique to its own body, is being ripped apart and crushed based on the judgment of someone that doesn't have the God-given right to do so. But so often in our conversations surrounding this topic, we don't even focus on God's perspective. And I am probably most guilty of this as I reflect back on conversations I've had over the years. We get sucked into, well, statistics show this and heartbeats start here and blah, blah, blah. And we lose an opportunity to show someone that there is a lawgiver far above our reasoning and understanding. And this being created you and me in his own image. And because he alone is the supreme authority as judge of his creation, it is a horrible and tragic sin for man to think he can step into the role of God to execute a decision to snuff out the life of another being just because we think we know better. If there's only one thing I've learned over the last year, it's that the Holy Spirit is a better teacher than me. And you might say, no, duh, of course the Holy Spirit's a better teacher than you. But why don't we act like that? If we really believe that the Holy Spirit will convict and convince those that he wants to convict and convince, then shouldn't my actions and conversations follow that line of thinking? Now again, don't hear what I'm not saying. I am all for having the discussion that delves into the nitty-gritty statistics and facts and all of that so that we can fully explore and vet an issue. But if I'm doing that apart from the perspective of God with his word and his law as my foundation, then it shouldn't really surprise me that people don't want to enter into those conversations or don't walk away with some sort of change. If we ever come to a point where abortion is outlawed in this country, which is a desire of my heart and I'm sure would be an answer to prayer for many, it will not be because we convinced our way into it. A fallen world is not going to listen to statistics and facts and figures and say, hmm, you've changed my heart. They're going to listen and hear the word of God and be convicted of sin and turn from their ways to his and I'm not saying the entire country will suddenly be Christian and that's, how we ought, and that's how we outlaw abortion. But we are fooling ourselves if we think that we will get to that point without the word of God and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Our actions should follow God's word and God's leading, not our own. Which brings me to my next point with Christians and politics. We need to stop treating politicians as saviors. 
And when our guy doesn't get elected, or the wrong guy gets put in place instead, we throw a fit and we say things like, Oh, Christ, come soon! Let me share some of God's word and see if I can alter your perspective here. Daniel 2.21 says of God, He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and he sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Romans 13.1 Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. When elections take place, and even when elections don't take place, it is God, not man, who establishes the ruler. Every president, senator, member of Congress, Supreme Court justice, mayor, superintendent of your local school that has ever been put in place was put there by God. So for us as Christians to respond in fear and anguish and look at the decision which God made in his sovereign will and scoff, It's as if we're saying we know how to run the world better than him. It doesn't mean that we celebrate every winner of elections regardless of the outcomes because there have historically been awful leaders put in place and there will continue to be awful leaders put in place. But again, our response as Christians must look different than the world. In the world, if your guy or your gal loses, it really can feel like the end of the world. But for Christians... We put our trust in a God who never changes and who reigns supremely and sovereignly over every nation. Psalm twenty-two twenty-eight says that the kingship belongs to the Lord and that he rules over all nations. Proverbs 21, 1 says that the will and desire of a king is like a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns and shapes it according to his will. God is the ruler of the universe. That doesn't change after an election. Again, these are all opportunities for us to point to a better savior. If your guy or girl didn't win, I can help you put your trust in a king and a God who is good and who will never fail. But we lose that opportunity when we gloat over a win or we weep and wail and lose our minds over a loss. The consistent message of a Christian should always be, My God is king, and he alone is whom I will place my trust in. And finally, as I wrap up this episode, it's important to remember what we as Christians are called to do, regardless of who is in power. 1 Timothy 2, 1-4 says, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly, and dignified in every way. This is good, and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now let me ask you, as I've had to ask myself, do you have that attitude for your opposition? Do you have a burden for the people's salvation on your heart? People like Nancy Pelosi, or Mitch McConnell, or Chuck Schumer, or Cory Booker, or whoever it might be? Do you go before God and bear your soul, pained with the separation that they may feel from God? And is your prayer, God, change their heart, instead of, God, change their mind? I hope so. Again, my, I hope my message is clear on the topic. I'm not advocating that Christians should stay away from politics, or that we should let the world set policy while we just pray. No, far from it. But in, but in our involvement 
in this conversation and in our actions. People should walk away understanding that our passion and zeal is for the Lord and not for men or the systems of men. Let people hear from us Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, his work for us. And through that, and only through that, we can change hearts and then we can change minds. But hey, maybe you disagree. I mean, it's it's politics, so I, it's safe to assume that someone disagrees with me. But I still, I want to hear from you. Disagreement is okay as long as we filter that through God's word and his perspective. So let me know your thoughts, where you stand on this topic. And remember, after November 2020 and 100 years from now and 10,000 years from now, Jesus is king and God is ruler. And the most important thing in this life is not who you vote for in this election, but instead who you put your trust in as an eternal savior. So thank you for tuning in. May God bless you, and I will see you soon.